the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, you can lie to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that third person of the Trinity, so he is to be referred to as a he, as part of a person. He has a personality. He's part of that Godhead. But Jesus here in John 14, he talks about, you know, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter. The Greek word is parakletos. It literally translates to come along, one who was called alongside. That's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit's purpose is... The Holy Spirit exists. He's the third member of the Trinity, God in spirit form. He has a personality, has emotions, and is in every way like God the Father and God the Son. They are one. And though that concept is sometimes hard to grasp, it doesn't make it any less true. Today, Pastor Gary will talk about the Holy Spirit and His role in your daily life. It's worth taking the time to study what the Bible has to say about Him and what Jesus tells you about Him. He's important to you and your spiritual walk. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. John 7. Here's the context. We, we left off right around verse 37. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is in Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Sukkot in Hebrew, also translated the Feast of Booths. This was a time when the Jews remembered their history, when particularly God delivered them and cared for them in the 40 years of their wilderness wanderings between leaving slavery in Egypt on their way to the promised land. And so every year as they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, they would put little makeshift booths out in the backyard and they would sleep in those for a seven-day period of time so that they could always remember those early days of our history when we suffered in the wilderness, but God was so gracious to provide for us and care for us. So now Jesus is here in Jerusalem. He's in the temple court area. This is the the last and greatest day of the feast, seven days. There was an eighth day attached just for the purpose of rest and reflection. They didn't do anything on that eighth day. So the feast itself was seven days long. It involved, we talked about this last week, an offering, what they call an offering of libation. It was a a drink offering, a, a water and wine offering, where the priest would go for each of the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, taking a golden pitcher, going down to the pool of Siloam, filling up the golden pitcher, coming back to the 
to the altar of the Lord there at the tabernacle, there at the temple area, and then pouring out the water at the base of the altar. He would also take another golden pitcher and pour out wine. And then together at the last day, he would read Isaiah 12.3 and Isaiah 44.3, which speaks about pouring out water upon us. And the priest would then say this, let Messiah come that he might pour out his water on us. That would be the tradition of what they would say on that last and greatest day. Now that's the scene. So now here in John seven thirty seven, it makes sense when it tells us on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So all of a sudden, you know, all eyes on Jesus, because in a loud voice, he's kind of disrupting this ceremony at the end, but for a good reason. He's disrupting it because he wants them to realize that this water that they pour out, and then this saying about Messiah, pour out your water on us and come and, you know, minister to us. And then Jesus is basically saying, hello, I'm right here. And if anyone would come to me, you can drink of my living water and you'll never thirst again. Now, John helps us to understand, next verse, verse 39, by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus promises living water. You come to me, you'll drink, you'll never be thirsty again, and out of you will will flow rivers, torrents of living water, and then He doesn't say anything more at that point, but John tells us a little interpretation here. The living water that Jesus spoke of was referring to the Spirit. Now, I'm going to just talk briefly about the Holy Spirit here, but I'm not going to make this a whole Bible study on the Holy Spirit, because frankly, when we get later into, further into the Gospel of John, and then particularly into the first couple of chapters of Acts, There's much to be said about it, but I'm going to give just kind of a snapshot overview about the Holy Spirit, because just so we understand when Jesus says this, and then John says, oh, by the way, he was speaking about the Spirit, who or what is the Spirit? An answer to that is the third part of the Trinity, that God is one God revealed in three persons, co-equal and co-eternal, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I will tell you that this, the subject of the Trinity and the doctrine of the Trinity is probably one of the most difficult to comprehend because it, it has to kind of transcend our limited understanding of reality where God operates outside of time and space. He's one God, but he reveals himself in three ways. Now, I've heard, and maybe many of you have heard of various ways to illustrate this. Every illustration really does a disservice to it, but nevertheless, I'll I'll give you two that I've heard that I'm sure some of you have heard before. One is, and I like this one as, as well, but when you think about an egg, okay, you have one egg, but you have a shell, you have the yolk, and you have the white of an egg. You have one egg, one thing that reveals itself kind of in three different ways. I've also heard it with water. You know, you have one element of water. It can take the form of steam. It can take the form of liquid. It can take the form of ice. It's still the same water. Those things really don't cut the, the deep 
meaning of the Trinity. Probably the closest one is the idea of light. That if you take a single strand of light and pass it through a prism, you get three primary colors. It's one strand of light, but revealed in three different shades, three different colors. So any kind of human analogy we come up with really won't explain the incredible magnitude of the concept of the doctrine of the Trinity, but that's a general idea. When we speak of Jesus, he's the Son. We speak of God the Father. We speak of now the Spirit that Jesus is referring to. Same God, one God, revealing in three different ways. And then the next question is, when was the Spirit given? Because John says here in verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive, And John says, up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, a word of clarification there, because if some of you are familiar with your Old Testaments, you know that there are different times in the Old Testament where it speaks of the Holy Spirit coming upon certain individuals. David, Moses, uh, Samson. There are different times when it says clearly that the Spirit of God came upon them. And here's the difference. There are examples in the Old Testament when the Spirit of God came upon people, but the Spirit of God came on assignment in the Old Testament. The difference is that there's coming a day, and John points to it in the future. For us, it actually is past and present. But John says there's going to come a day when the Holy Spirit will not simply be poured out on assignment, but the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. But John says here, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the answer to the question is that the Spirit was first given, first poured out to believers at Pentecost in Acts 1 and 2, and subsequently indwells the believer at the time of salvation. I'm going to quote from Acts 1 and 2 in a little bit later, but for the moment, would you just jump to John chapter 14? I want you to just see... Something else here in, in John 14 that, that Jesus says, and he has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit between John 14, 15, and 16. That's why uh, when we get to those chapters, we'll talk more extensively about it. But just to see a couple of verses here, John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you, now notice this is future tense, and he will give you another counselor. King James Bible says comforter, to be with you forever, and then he qualifies it, he defines it, the spirit of truth. So so the counselor or the comforter in King James is the spirit, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. And then he adds, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. By the way, please notice that Jesus uses the pronouns he and him in those verses referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is the third part, the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. He is a person. The Bible says that he can be grieved because there's a command in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, to grieve not the Holy Spirit. He can be lied to. In Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira were presenting their offering to the apostles, and they lied because they they made the apostles think that they were giving everything that they had. They weren't required to give everything, but they pretended, they, they exalted themselves, pretending that they were giving everything. And by the Spirit of God, Peter discerned that they weren't telling the truth. And he said, why do you lie 
to the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit killed him. So you better give well. But anyhow, no, that's not, that's not the lesson there. But that would be, you know, that's a preacher's response anyway. But that's not the lesson there, okay? It's don't lie, don't deceive. And so you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that third person of the Trinity, so he is to be referred to as a he, as part of a person. He has a personality. He's part of that Godhead. But Jesus here in John 14, he talks about, you know, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter. The Greek word is parakletos. It literally translates to come along, one who is called alongside. That's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit's purpose. He's called alongside of us. And Jesus says there in John 14, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you, he's around you, and he shall be, will be, future tense, in you. Which leads us to the third question, the last question on the Holy Spirit here, for tonight at least. Is the indwelling of the Spirit at the time of salvation different from the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now here's where angels fear to tread, okay. But I'm, I'm going to give you the answer, and, and then you know you can send me your emails, and I'll send them off to one of the other assistant pastors. But here, here's basically the answer is, when you look at Scripture, the answer is yes. There is a difference between indwelling at the time of salvation and baptism, which is baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is subsequent to, it can be concurrent with salvation, but it is distinct from the indwelling of the Spirit. And I say it can be concurrent with salvation because you can see examples of it. Acts chapter 10, for example, the household of Cornelius was a Gentile Roman centurion. And he heard the preaching of the gospel by Peter when Peter came and visited his home. It says that Cornelius and his household believed. They also were filled with the Holy Spirit. In that one example, they did speak in tongues. Not every example in the book of Acts, when someone is filled with the Spirit, do they speak in tongues? What then is the evidence of the Spirit? I'm getting way ahead of myself here. But since I already waded into it, I might as well finish that comment. In 1 Corinthians 13, the answer is love. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a particular gift of the Spirit, though I believe that Scripture teaches all the gifts are still available today. But the thing that distinguishes someone to be filled with the Holy Spirit is love. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a long list of the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 is a list of the function of the gifts, particularly the gifts of prophecy and tongues. But nestled, sandwiched right in between is 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And that whole chapter, chapter 13, is about love. That the real evidence of someone who's been filled and baptized by the Spirit of God You stop being that cranky rattlesnake person you were before, and you become someone who is overwhelmed with love. I think it was Charles Finney, but I get my early church fathers mixed up sometimes. I think it was Finney who who described the baptism of the Holy Spirit as waves of liquid love. That's the baptism. Now, so that we understand, though, in context here, go further into John chapter 20. I want to show you just real briefly why... Why we hold the position that Scripture teaches that it is a separate, the baptism of the Spirit is separate from the indwelling of the Spirit. If you look in John 20, in John 20, Jesus has already died and been resurrected at this point. And he appears to his disciples. In John 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, 
When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Now that says something about a glorified body. You can go right through walls. You were not restricted by material things because doors are locked and Jesus just walks right through the walls and appears before them, stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He showed them the marks of his crucifixion. Again, Jesus said there, verse 21, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now I ask you, maybe you've never thought about this, but when did the disciples, Jesus's disciples, actually become born again believers? When did they actually become, the term that we use today, Christians, saved, born again? It's right here. It's at this moment. Because up to this point, they had not put their faith and trust in the risen Lord Jesus. They may have believed in him as the Messiah, as Peter even had professed back in Matthew 16, this great profession of the faith, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They may have understood that he's Messiah, But they did not understand and grasp the whole thing about the crucifixion and resurrection until he appears to them. And it's at this point here in John 20 that they believe in the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus then breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, This is the indwelling of the Spirit. How do we know it's not the fullness and the baptism? How do we know there's something separate? Because now you can go to Acts chapter 1. When you look into Acts Chapter 1, just a few pages over from John 20, go to Acts chapter 1 to the right. These are the final words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven. In Acts 1 verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. These are his disciples. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptism, you know, we think of water baptism, which is a baptism, but then there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the same word, baptizo, just means to overwhelm. So when you're water baptized, you're overwhelmed by water. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. But notice what Jesus says here. He says to his disciples... Wait here in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, Jesus. Jesus, did you read John 20? Because you you already breathed on them back in John chapter 20, and they received the Holy Spirit back in John 20. Why do they need the Holy Spirit in Acts 1? They already got it in John 20. No, because what they received in John 20 was the indwelling upon salvation. When you get saved, you can't separate God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because it's one God. He is one. But there is a difference between the indwelling and the baptizing, the overwhelming, that flood of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, Paul says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is in the present tense imperative in the Greek, which literally translates, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not just well, I had one experience and one and done. It is a continual need for that infilling of God's presence and God's spirit for empowering, for the fruit of the spirit, to be bold as his witnesses. And so there's this 
separate and distinct thing here. Jesus, from John 20, is saying here in Acts 1, there's, there's something else here related to the Holy Spirit. He says further in Acts 1, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's future tense. Something's going to happen, and that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit falls upon them, and so then that's for a whole other Bible study. But you know, this much to simply say, go back to John 7 now. Here Jesus, you know, he stands up here, this, the last and greatest day of the feast, talks about living water. The living water he's referring to is the Spirit. There's the Spirit that we receive, the Spirit of God upon salvation, the indwelling work. There's a separate work of the baptizing work. And so, by the way, just to plug my pastor's book, Pastor Chuck Smith, who went to be with the Lord, um, I think it's been two years now. But he wrote, one of the first books I, I read that he wrote was a book called Living Water. And this is about the Holy Spirit. Um, it is a, it's an easy read. It discusses the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It discusses the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have uh, a few copies in our cafe. You can uh, pick it up afterwards if, if you'd like. Tell them I sent you and they'll give you full price. But, uh, but anyhow... But it's a great book. It's a great read. If you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I recommend Pastor Chuck's book on that regard. But let's keep going through the Gospel of John here because, as, as you can tell, I've already quoted from John 14 and 16. When we get further into John, get into Acts, we'll talk even more about the baptism of the Spirit. But that much to say that John explains for us, verse 39, back here in John 7, that by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, now notice the reaction of the crowd here, because this is so typical of really any crowd even today. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David was, where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. So there you have people divided because of Jesus. I'm sure nothing you've ever encountered in your life, you know, wherever you work or in a family setting, you know, there's never any division about Jesus, right? Of course there is. He's still a polarizing figure today. You mention Jesus in a room full of people, you're going to get a room full of reaction. And by the way, you're either going to get revival or riot. Because there's no neutral middle ground, no demilitarized zone with Jesus. He, you mention that name. And people will either respond with repentance and they will be drawn to him and there's revival. Or you'll make people mad. I mean just ticked off mad. And Jesus, by the way, in Luke chapter 12, he says, I came not to bring peace, but division. He said, a member of a man's own household will be divided against himself. A father will be divided against the son, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He speaks about division because he knows that truth, because truth is exclusive, forget what our culture is saying today, that truth is relative and we can redefine things today and there are no absolutes, that's just a complete lie. There are absolutes. 
People who, who, you know, are mathematicians, they understand there's absolutes. But when it comes to values, all of a sudden we don't have values, you know, absolutes anymore. So two plus two can be four. It's never six. But you start talking about moral issues, and now all of a sudden people want to make up their own rules. But that said, truth by definition is exclusive. And Jesus makes truth claims. He says things like he did to Pontius Pilate when he stood before Pilate before he was crucified. He said, everyone on the side of truth, this is John 18, we'll get to it later. John is a rich book, isn't it? Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He draws a line in the sand. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary's been going through the book of John. If you missed any part of this message, you can hear it again on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You might want to download our mobile app so you have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love to meet you. Please join us for worship and Bible study. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other info on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We hope and pray you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of John. Please know that we're praying for you too. Although we're out of time for today, keep reading on your own in the book of John until Pastor Gary continues teaching through this extraordinary account of Jesus' life on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know